Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through. So that we can try to identify the problem. And then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder, why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors? And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well and to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed and from there it grew and I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manapart Podcast. This is going to be episode 58, titled Locked In and Wild and Out. Part 5 of the Samantha Haynes Chronicles. So we're going to pick up from where we left off from last week. Which is where the police come to Samantha's house. And ask what's going on. And that's when they're going to find the body of Kelly Tiller. Samantha going to, pri- going to court. And then going to prison. And we leave off with her in prison. on To tell into some prison stories. I will say it's going to be a graphic uh, trigger warning for the prison stories. So if you're a little uneasy about some things, then don't listen to those stories, I should say. They're not too heinous. They just have a very sexual nature. Some people, I, I'm not here to judge nobody on anything. I just think some people might find killing a pedophile is okay to listen to. 
whereas somebody might not like some sex stories, right? So it all depends on what you feel. Some of them are funny. Some of them are, are very serious stories. And not all of them are, are, are in the sexual graphic nature. But uh, the ones that are, like, I just was like, God damn. You know, it's wild. Wild as shit stories. So just want to give you all that trigger warning up front. Anyway, I want to say that uh, it's a wild story I've, I've had to hear and listen to. And I got the pleasure of actually hearing, I should say. And learned a lot from Samantha and her story. We're probably going to... we're. We're going to be going into, more than likely, another two more episodes, y'all. If I can get another one, that's fine. But I think episode six and seven, episode seven is going to tie this off really nicely. So I also want to address that when we recorded, um, this was kind of the, the tail end of the, uh, of the first session I did with her. And on the second session, you'll see a, you'll see a pickup. There's a part where, in the middle of this interview, it kind of cuts off a little bit and changes up. Well, we had some technical difficulties toward the end of the first session. And then we picked up on the second session, which is telling some more prison stories. So that's where, you know, you're going to be able to see a difference in the audio quality. It's a little echoey. And it's just something we couldn't help. I tried to clean it up as much as I could in post. But if y'all can bear through and listen, I appreciate it. So that's about it, y'all. Um, here's the episode. Have you seen Sam? Have you seen a red truck? Have you seen... Well, my other dog, Cotton, did not follow me. He decided to stay in the yard and act a fool. So he's a big pit bull, too. And yeah. he's acting wild and crazy. So Michael's like, hey, I need to put the dog in the house. So he grabs Cotton and opens the door. And there's... Kelly dead on my couch just like the fuck I said so and he is in complete shock he really like genuinely did not fucking believe me at all so you could see it all over his face all over his body um he turns white all of that and the officer sees him and he's like are you everything okay and he said no everything is not okay uh, you need to come in here. So Michael's the one who opened um, my house up for the cops. And that's when the fucking investigation started. Now, Sean wanted to go check out all the fucking jazziness because he wanted to see too. Sean yeah. and Michael are both brothers. Sean, Michael, Hedgecock. Well, so they, uh, so Sean's coming up and he sees that the cops are already fucking there. So he turns around and goes back to Roy's and he's like, whoa, there's cops already. Your fucking house is already taped off. They've got my brother there questioning him. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Finally, the cops, they take me in at like one in the morning. They decide to like interview Annette and Gumby first and they don't get anything out of them. Annette talks absolutely insane the entire time. So I don't even know why the fuck they had her in there. Yeah. Like for real in the first place. It's the craziest. She was tripping about condensation on an ice chest. Well, guess what, honey? That's what ice chests do. You know? <laughs> like it was just the craziest. She didn't make any sense. Gumby just pretended like nothing. Gumby didn't want any involvement in it. Even though he was actively fighting with Kelly he said that everything was fine and that when he left uh, he didn't know anything about anything it was fine well that doesn't fucking help me at all now does it it just looks like yeah. he died for no fucking reason so they finally get me at around one o'clock in the morning I'm finally coming down from that adrenaline um, all the drugs that I had done in the last you know four days the hot shot that I got just a couple days before like I'm coming down hard and the cops decide that this is a great time to fucking interview me. I am hysterical, sobbing, crying the entire like fucking two and a half hours. No, I was not in a good state of mind. They took pictures of me while I was on the floor, like huddled up, like pictures of my body. Like it was just, I don't know what the fuck. They charged me with first degree premeditated murder. And it was for a couple of things that they basically like guided me to say in a way. Yeah. Uh, I had they weapons. Like, like for instance, like I had weapons all over my house. Like I had a bat by my door, you know, I had 
um, knives in all the bedrooms, but I'm living in a dangerous environment. Like that's not um, abnormal. I don't think to have weapons in your house for, in case of an emergency, right. You know where. Yeah. So I I have to ask this question because I, I I found this as a common weapon too. in dope houses I've been into. Did you have a fucking katana in there? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, look, every every dope house I've ever been to, the dealers always had fucking katanas. For some weird reason, Japanese fucking uh, medieval fucking weaponry was was their fucking jams. I don't know why. I, th- I thought maybe it's just a southern thing, but every time I talked to other people from different areas of the country, they all had a fucking katana. <laughs> I, I I just I'm just it, it, look. It was a I know I, I, out of the blue left field question, but I I wanted to ask no. No, and weapons were like a form of um, currency in the dope scene. If you yeah. had a knife, you can get a, you know, a good twenty cc bump for that. You see what I mean? So yeah, yeah we're all over the place. Yes, there was knives. There was throwing stars. There was you know these ninja things. There was a fucking steak knife hanging from my ceiling, like. I mean, obviously, that's not a good place for me to, you know, get it for self-defense or anything. But, like, there was, yeah, there was weapons in the house. My bad. So, you see how they twisted that? Um, Yeah. They said, like, oh, well, you stashed knives around your whole fucking house. You premeditated this. I don't know how they could have possibly thought that I premeditated a one-stab killing. Like, be for real. If I was trying to kill somebody and I wanted them dead... um. I'm pretty sure I would have done that one or two times just to make sure, right? Because I or out or outside of your fucking house. Yeah, like, yeah, I would be in. Yeah, yeah, no shit. So yeah, sorry, that's just my mind. Sorry. Yeah, no, for real, this was my house, um, and we do not have stand your ground law in New Mexico. Yeah. So that means you cannot protect your property. That means you cannot protect. yourself you cannot stand your ground in a fight you need to run that's basically what that means right yeah good luck doing that louisiana uh, i think louisiana is a stand your ground i believe it is i I think it's i know we have castle doctrine and everything like that as well yeah 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 yep that's the same uh so like so so basically they have to be in my home and if they're outside of my house like i can't shoot them through the door I can't shoot somebody or attack somebody if they're fucking up my car or something like that. Like I have to, it has, they have to be, they have to be an active threat coming into my house. Like they have to, and I have to be in fear of my life. All these different factors have to come into play. I've, I've heard hit and miss on some people with this. Like some, some cops have told me like your door doesn't have to be locked or your door does have to be locked. And I have a whole crazy ass story that, is for another time, another episode, but I, I'll definitely tell you after, like later on, maybe tomorrow, you know, later on down the line, we'll, we'll talk to each other on the phone about that one. Yep. There's a lot of, and so in New Mexico, there's no stand your ground. You are not allowed to, um, if you are in fear of your life, that is not good enough. Yeah. There needs to be an ex. There needs to be force, and the force needs to be reasonable back. I guess one stab wound was too much force, right? I guess. Yeah. Me being in fear of my life was not sufficient enough. There, He was supposed to enact the same amount or um, a significant amount of force to me, and pushing me over um, the toilet and, like, sexually assaulting me, uh, by groping me and shit was not good enough. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Okay. Uh, also, inviting you to chop his tiny dick off is like in a psychotic fucking manner. Yeah. Okay. Well, fucking, was, uh, like, good God. What was that? I, yeah. Just, I, I, like, yeah, I couldn't live in New Mexico then. Fuck that. <laughs> like, so, yeah, they charged me with fucking first degree premeditated murder. Um, because fear of your life is not good enough, even though he was a registered sex offender, he was on bond, um, he had fucking uh, domestic violence charges, he had stalking charges and restraining order charges, like, uh, even with all of that, and him 
uh, I didn't know he had a knife in his back pocket, but he did. So he even had a weapon on him at that time. He had weapons on him like multiple times throughout the you know thing you see what i mean like he first had a mallet and the fucking like so had weapons on him throughout the whole time so he has been a threat to me for days straight and i'm getting charged with premeditated murder like what the fuck is it gonna have to take for to like i mean good guy like like i'm I'm assuming the way the law operates with that or how you have to handle that is that he has to be fucking stabbing you before you can stab him the fuck back like fuck that the force needs to be justified and you for okay so self defense is if somebody uh, enacts force onto you that then it's okay to enact force back right yeah. or to run if you are able to run um you'll get charged they were saying since i was able to go to first cafeteria for that phone call like an hour and a half before um, that I was just free to leave. And I, I just don't think that they really understood the circumstances I was in, you know, and I didn't know the laws either. But it's not like I was fucking trying to kill him in the first place. You see, yeah. what I mean? this was a yeah. huge shock to me. Like I was in fucking shock. I didn't, I had no idea what was going on at that point. So let me ask you a question though, because in Louisiana, I think for, first degree murder premeditated murder you can be you know it that, that's a death penalty case where you oh, was it with eight with eight in new mexico but it's life okay sentence. yeah yeah it's oh shit so they, they, were, they were trying to put letters on your jacket yeah oh yeah it's it's a life sentence so um god damn it so i stay in county for almost two fucking years fighting this case i'm going to hearings i'm going to evidentiary hearings Man, check this fucking niece goes to the DA and says the wildest fucking story. She tells him that she knows that I'm a prostitute. Um, I guess to make me look bad, I don't see how that would dis because my defense is it's self-defense. This is a fucking yeah. in my home. So my attorney, my defense from Jump Street like was that he was a fucking predator in my home and uh so the niece came up and she was like no no they were in a relationship and i watched pornos on his phone he gave me his phone to give to his daughter what so you're and she's young like she was young living next door she was way younger than the niece was way younger than fucking kelly and what you were watching pornos of your uncle on his phone that he wanted to give to his daughter this dude's been in the dope scene for fucking years he is a known trick he is nasty um, and you want to give the phone that probably every tweaker every fucking um trick in carlsbad has this phone number and you want his daughter to have it and you are watching pornos of your uncle on his phone. Yeah. Me. She said it was of me. And I was getting dope. There was a huge transaction in the video. What? Um, okay. So that story is pretty detailed. I'm thinking that that actually happened. If you want to be fucking for real. But she was just saying it was me in it. You see what I mean? Yeah. Because why would you go to the fucking DA and tell anybody that your old fucking pervert uncle you're watching his pornos so that showed how fucked up the family was right because she thought she was going to make me look bad by doing that whoa so my attorney asked her a bunch of questions like whoa bitch why the fuck are you looking at your uncle's dick um and then they were even she went on to a story that said that they were even laughing about it they were watching it together and they were even laughing about how small his dick was. This is on fucking, I've got paperwork of this. Of her saying that she was watching her little pee-pee's uncle's pornos. And they were laughing about it together. Like, is this a normal family fucking get-together? It's because it's normalized in your fucking head. Somehow she thought that was fucking normal. That's how twisted this fucking family was.
Yeah. Okay. And I should have known something when I should have figured. I should have figured this was a generational family thing and they were all Jack. I should have known. But I had to take a polygraph to prove that she was lying, right? Right. Um, we were going up for our evidentiary hearing where both sides have to put in all the evidence and it needs to be approved by the judge. If it really isn't evidence, they're not going to submit it into evidence, right? Right. I had a second interrogation that was thrown out because it was coercive. Um, so that that got thrown out. Also, what got thrown out um, at the evidentiary hearing was they gave me, this is what they charged me with, embezzlement of a motor vehicle tampering with evidence and first degree murder okay so that's what they charged me with the tampering with evidence was about the truck they already charged me with the truck so that was a double jeopardy so that got thrown out at the evidentiary hearing so like we're preparing for the real charges at the trial right we're putting everything and in order for her like to even so they asked for the phone She said it was blue to the DA. She said it was purple and pink to my attorney. So her story is kind of all over the place. Uh, They asked for the phone um, and she doesn't know where it is. Oh, oh no. First she said, uh, oh, all of the videos are deleted anyways. And they said, that doesn't fucking matter. Anything that's ever been on that phone, we can retrieve it. So give us the phone. And she was, and then she said, oh, I don't know where it is. So there's no phone. It's just her fucking hearsay, right? So I have to take a goddamn polygraph. I've got this on paper too. Holy shit. The questions that were asked are fucking gross. Like, have you ever been anywhere near Kelly Tiller's penis? What? Yeah. Like, you want me to not get my heart rate up when you're asking a fucking question like that? Okay, okay. Like, these are the craziest fucking questions. Were you in a relationship with him? Did you sell dope uh, for your for fucking sex? Uh, did you make a sex video on a phone? Did you, like, what the fucking questions were these? And Yeah, to- so, like, like, before that, though, I know they had to ask you, like, a baseline of questions, right? And, yes. like, you're, like, you're, you're basically your pedigree information like hey is your name samantha haynes are you this yeah. age or you live here you live there they do that so you so they can take what the facts they know on that because um a podcast i do listen to the podcast that inspired me uh is a podcast named real life real crime with woody overton woody overton is a, is a former detective in this parish i live in and so he was also one of the I, like i think he was like the number three polygraphist in the state yeah, uh, working out here and everything. And I think he was the first polygraphist for the sheriff's department out here. And he says, like, he, he actually explains that process and all that, too. Like, they asked the baseline, then they start asking all these questions. <clears throat> and, of course, when they're interviewing you and everything like that, and you ask, like, when you get done, like, hey, how'd I do? And they're going to tell you, well, I got to go look at the results. Well, a good polygraphist actually knows right then and there if you're lying or not. Like, they'll, they'll te- they, like, they, they can't tell you right away they have to go and like disclose all that shit to the someone, people that are yeah somebody else they do not tell you yeah they won't tell you but they do fucking know though right then and there if if, if they're any fucking good so we waited yeah we waited for the best polygrapher in that region and he traveled a long distance to get to me and finally he shows up it's kind of late like it's kind of close to my evidentiary hearing and um, I, I take, yeah, you're absolutely correct. He asked me my name, my birthday. Um, he got a baseline of how I am telling the truth. He actually asked me a, a question that I had to lie on. So he knew what my body was doing when I was lying. So not only did he get a baseline, he also forced me to lie to get a baseline of that. He asked me, I think, if I was born in March or something and I had to say yes, even though I wasn't, um, you know, that. So I was lying, right? So yeah. and gets on to these grotesque fucking questions. Um, I pass. Flying fucking color. It was like 99.876. Like, it, it was it was fucking perfect results um, that I was telling the truth. So when all of that evidence came in, uh, the judge obviously turned down the nieces and i think the da knew that if he put her on the stand and she said that 
that was going to make him and his client look really fucking bad, like a fucking predator. Um, yeah. And up, like, this is his little niece. What are you doing watching pornos with your little niece? Like, so yeah. they couldn't put her on the stand. It would make them look really bad. And there was no evidence. I just passed a polygraph fire. So that fucking blew over, thankfully. But here's where the tricky part comes in. There was evident. Okay, so the DA put in a motion saying that I couldn't say that Kelly Tiller was a sex offender to the jury. What? What do you mean? My whole case is based around self-defense and there was a predator in my home and I was in danger and I'm trying to prove that I was in fear of my life and that force was necessary. Um, What do you mean? I can't say that he's a pedophile in front of the jury. So a lot of complications came up in the evidentiary hearing, but the judge knew everything. The judge was actually the one who let him out on fucking bond. The same judge. She also dealt with all of his child cases uh, with his, um, because he was supposed to pay child, he never paid child support. He He knew that judge very well. So she had all of the evidence. They were keeping my fucking polygraph results from the jury because it wasn't in on time. What? Yeah. So now the jury's not going to fucking know that I didn't pass my polygraph test. Like, what if his family gets on there and tells that crazy story? W- would the jury believe them? Um, so I'm kind of stuck in a what What do I do at this point? I can do a bench trial and just have the judge judge me. And she's got all the evidence. I don't need evidence hidden. I want to. F- How is that a fucking fair trial? You got to go through an evidentiary hearing to to even see if the evidence is good enough. What do you mean? I took a fucking polygraph. The DA is trying to uh, hide the fact that he's a fucking pedophile. Like, that's my whole case. Yeah. So I decided not to do a jury trial, which actually cuts my chances. Like by 12. You know, if one person would have said no, I would have had a hung jury. You see what I mean? Yeah. So really, I and I knew the judge needed to protect her courtroom. She wasn't just going to let me go. She's not. They make that's how they make money is by incarceration. Why yeah. would they just let me go when they can make a good couple? They can make bank. They've already made a bank off this fucking trial. You know, the DA is getting paid big for a fucking murder trial. You know, you know, everybody's yeah. getting paid off of this. My attorney was a fucking public pretender. Like, what? I don't understand. Like, isn't that a conflict of interest? Like, be fucking absolutely for real right now. Why is the state fucking charging me and the same state paying for my attorney? So the judge is getting paid by the state. The DA is getting paid by the state. The fucking cops who arrested me are getting paid by the state. My attorney is getting paid by the state and I'm going up against a state, going up against an entity. What? Yeah. That is not a fuck. Uh, No, fuck this. Yeah, he was um, specifically a like high profile murder attorney. That was his thing. He was doing... um, a child abuse resulting in death case in Hobbs at the same time he was doing mine. So that was basically a murder case on a child. So um, you see what I mean? Like that was his. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I, and yeah, they probably had to pay him bank to do that. So the state is fucking paying him. Uh, everybody, this just didn't make any sense how that wasn't a fucking conflict of interest for uh, the state. Uh, to go against the state, really. Like, what? Make that shit fucking make sense. Like, they're all getting paid off of my incarceration. Shut up. Like, yeah. shut up. So, the judge finally gets through this fucking drudging trial. Um, the One of his family members totally lied on there. She knew he was lying because I had my polygraph results. But saying that I was in a relationship with him, it was just a shit show. Annette was on the stand and she was crazier than what she was two years before. I had been locked up for, you know, what happened. Everyone was insane 
on that stand. It was like a fucking clown show. She eventually, finally, at the end, she charged me with voluntary manslaughter, which is a crime of passion. And it does kind of fit the case. Using too much force during an altercation in that state does fit with manslaughter. So really, the charges weren't too bad for what had happened, right? Yeah. Um, how many how many years did you get? I got six years. And it was basically a plea deal? No. No, I fought it. I fought it all oh, the you way fought up. the whole thing? Wow. Yeah, I didn't sign a fucking plea deal at all. She convicted did they try, me. Did they try to offer you a plea deal of any kind? They tried to offer me second-degree murder, which was uh, 15 years, and I turned it down. Holy shit. Oh, you did fucking yeah. better. Yeah, you did a whole lot, hell of a lot better. Six is a lot better than 15 for sure. Yeah, I told him, fuck you. I was like, God, dude, keep fighting. My attorney was trying to get me to sign a plea deal. Fuck him. He was not trying to fight my case at all. He was sick. He had a lot of um, heart issues, and he actually died, like, the very next year. Yeah. Oh, wow. He was one of those, you know, old boomers that needed to work until the day he died. Well, really, you're kind of sick, and I needed a good attorney. But I got six years. I guess it wasn't. I accepted it. It wasn't really that bad. Um, I just took a yeah. deep. All right. Okay. It's not. I won. I still yeah. fucking hate that first degree murder up. Um, and I did better than the plea deal that they're offering me. So I feel like I came out on top. Even though looking at the situation, did I? Like, am I really not allowed to defend myself in my home when there's a crazy fucking violent predator there yeah that's i i just you see what i mean so so in a sense i feel like i won but in the same time like did i really like did the state just fucking take advantage of me and make a bunch of money off of me for a fucking predator that you know they didn't give a fuck about like anyways so um finally i hit fucking prison and prison is wild i go buck fucking wild uh, they yeah, were giving I... me, yeah they were only giving me 85 percent uh good times and i told them to shut that fucking good time up their ass i didn't care um and it wasn't very much it was only it was what well, it was four days um a month that they were gonna give me so it added up to like seven months all together with all the years uh, and I just threw that seven months away. I was like, fuck it. I'll just do the whole thing flat. And I did. And I was fucking insane. Absolutely insane in there. I was sleeping with every girl I could. I was fucking making hooch. I was doing tattoos. This is where I learned how to do tattoos. Um, yeah. I adapted into this environment, honestly, too well. Uh, so you went from so you went from being on the outside with no hustles to being locked up with a bunch yep. of different hustles going on. Yep, I adapted to this environment. I think too well, honestly. Just to keep it real with you, I never got clean in there. Um, yeah. I people go to prison, they come out clean. I was strung out. On, we were getting drops of Suboxone. Man, I remember. Uh, I saw. We were so fucked up in there. I remember my homegirl was peeing on the Christmas tree one year for Christmas. Holy uh, shit. Like, fucked up. We would get fucked up in there. Holy shit. Man, one time we had a lockdown. And um, I didn't, I wasn't, okay, so we have motors for our guns, right? And when yeah. there's lockdowns, they're going to come shake you down. So I need to wrap up my motor. Um, in a bunch of gloves and a bunch of cleaning gloves, right? So I'd break off one of the fingers and I'd stuff my um, motor in one of the fingers of the glove, tie it up, you know, and I'd do that a couple of times. But um, I would have somebody else hold it up them, up their, you know, bajayjay to hold it for me because I didn't want to hold it up there, right? That's a lot of work. I don't want to do it. I'll give you a tattoo afterwards if you make it through the shakedown. Now, of course, they make us squat, pop, they make us cough, they make us do all kinds of things um, to our stuff to make sure that we don't have anything up there. Like, they basically fucking look inside of you, right, when they're doing a shutdown. 
So, um, this one time I have a fucking motor and my homegirl Maria, I'm like, Hey, uh, Oh, she offered right away. And it was kind of a big motor. It came out of a hairdryer. So it was a little bit bigger, not too much bigger. We used to use a uh, record, like little cassette tape record. Uh, so that that's a lot smaller motor than a fucking um, hairdryer. But anyways, uh, she's like, you know what? She, she was a prostitute um, in Albuquerque on Central. And uh, <laughs> she was so funny. She goes, you know, I don't think I can hold that in my, uh, you know, in my pussy. She's like, I bet I can hold in my ass, though. And I'm like, huh, all right. She's like, I, I think my ass is tight enough to hold your motor. And I didn't think yeah. any of it. Like, I never had done butt stuff, so I didn't know that my motor was going to be completely fucking ruined. Um, But it was completely fucking ruined when it came out. Um, there was no, we wrapped it so many times, and something about the, it reeked it reeked my motor was fucking ruined god damn it maria what now you know what let me tell you she went through that fucking lockdown like a goddamn champion she came out after all the strip search after the squat after all these crazy fucking exercises we got to do oh they look up inside of you real quick and um she comes out and she does a cartwheel and does the splits she is so happy that her ass is that tight that it was able to hold it it wasn't able to fall out what the shit (laughs) god damn like it was just wild in there one time yeah oh no hold on hold on so for the listeners and everything like that i went through samantha some of samantha's prison story tiktoks like i said earlier and and a you know, and everything like that. Um, there was one that, I mean, you had some fucking wild ass stories for one thing. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not trying to do any, like, uh, like, like, I'm not just trying to go for like the most wildest, like just, just because it's a sex story, but there was one that you talked about and oh, you walked in, you walked in on a friend of yours, like, like, she, like, so you played spade. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 hold on. You say, so, so you, so you, so you have a partner that you play spades with and you walked in on her being double fisted at the same time. Oh my God, man. What the fuck business? I was minding my own motherfucking business. I go, my spades partner is taking a long time. What are you doing, bitch? Like, hurry the fuck up. We're trying to play spades here. And I go to the cell to go get her. And the girl that she is doing it with um, did donkey shows in Mexico. And they were like two grand a donkey. So she was getting, you know, humped by fucking donkeys in Mexico. God damn. So you see what I mean? So I, and I, 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 I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Okay. All right. I, I fucking I didn't know. And yeah. Damn. And damn. One time, okay, so I remember I was messing with this one chick, Apollonia, and uh she was like, put more fingers. And I'm like, what? She's like, put more fingers. This is the first time I'm ever with her. And I'm like, put more fingers. I got four. I got four fingers in you, dude. She's like, no more. And I've never, I didn't know what fisting was. This was b- even way before I saw my homegirl, Mona. Her name is Mona, just to top that off my spades part. Oh, God, <laughs> so, um, oh my gosh, I bet I have a prison picture with her. I, I posted, I gotta see. So anyways, um, more, more. And I didn't know like what she meant by that. So I put my thumb too, and I am finning. Like I've got my hands straight right like yeah <laughs> like karate chopping and yeah this chick is like do it hard, hard. i'm like exhausted okay i am fucking like back and forth that like jerking i've got my feet on the ground i'm sweating i'm like girl this is too much okay like i i, I feel like i'm i'm being abused at this point okay this is <laughs> labor this is i'm struggling okay and i was finning but i didn't know anything about fisting then right i yeah. was, went into prison i didn't know anything about that kind of wild sex scene until i was in prison actually and um 
Yeah, that was fucking gnarly finning. And I've just always called it ever since that happened. Like, I, the first time I was supposed to fist a girl, I finned her because I didn't know what I was doing. But the, these girls were fucking wild, man. Um, one of the saddest, uh, I saw one of my, she's still my friend now, even on TikTok. She, um, we're, I just love her so much. Sasha, she overdosed in there. Um, and I hate to say it, but I was more, I was more concerned about our whole pod getting shook down. And, uh, I was more worried about making sure all of my stuff was wrapped up and put away. All of my drugs were good. All of, you know, my, my needles and yeah, I didn't even care that she was fucking dying. Um, in the pod to be honest i just feel like shit about it i've apologized to her like over and over again because yeah but she made it somebody went to the cops and told them that she was overdosed and she's she got out of there um my fucking ex-girlfriend her name is marissa marissa yazi and she's she's dead now she um hung herself in the cell but before then she almost fucking killed me in there man i had to go to the medical center and everything she beat me so fucking bad holy uh, shit yeah like you know you don't win all your fights you know just so you know you know yeah fight. like like a lot of people a lot of people think that you know it's you know that, that you can walk away from some of these fights and like so I, I i listen to a lot of the male convicts that come out and everything mm-hmm. like that and tell their stories um and you probably you probably heard of a bunch of them on here, or not, not even on TikTok, just on YouTube alone. Yeah. Um, like um, I I I you know like Jay Williams from uh, Virginia, you know he tells his stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a uh, Sean Atwood with uh with, oh, with yeah. Wild Man, Wild Man. You know I I used to love the Wild Man stories, and unfortunately Wild Man's been passed away for I think like two or three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, but he was just fucking crazy. I mean, he was a fucking savage of a man I, I always like gravitated toward wild man stories um you know there's all these other different guys like you know of course jd delay he's on tiktok he's tiktok oh, famous you know he's yeah. big in the addiction recovery scene as well and uh i love jd for his uh stance on you know uh against pedophiles obviously for oh, yeah. obvious fucking reasons oh, yeah. um so i mean you know like like I, I find like and i've listened to a lot of these stories over time it's very violent very brutal um every prison's different you know, like like each region so you got west coast the south you got the east coast the midwest north um everybody does things a little differently and i still have not found a louisiana uh you know it, convict to come out and do a podcast or or you know share their stories like that because i you know hell who never you never know i might fucking end up in prison one day as well you know fucking killing one of these pedophile pieces of shit yeah and really it could happen to anybody like at any given time like some of the girls in there really didn't need to be in there i mean most most of us were fucking but yeah but some of these girls really i think were charged that had nothing to do with nothing like yeah you know a a lot of people will talk about the well you know a lot of people will talk about how the, the the monsters in our society that do need to be in there, but they never do talk about uh, the people that get thrown into the fucking system and they get taken for a fucking loop and shouldn't have been in there in the first place. So, hey, this is going to be the part where we switch off from the first recording into the second session recording. And that's why there's a little bit of a, a dip off and everything. It took about maybe a week or two before we got back together and recorded. So, there was things that we were trying to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about in the first session. So at this point, we just said, hey, let's just t- let's just talk about a few more prison stories, and then we just keep moving forward in the story. And that's what we did. So anyway, uh, back to our regular scheduled programming. I want to know, when you were in prison, besides the... Uh, Besides the double-fisted chick and the and the finning and the uh, and the uh, the the what was it the uh, 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 hair dryer motor up up the oh, girl's cooch or whatever, yeah. yeah. So besides yeah. all those like crazy 
like genitalia sex type stories. Was there any like anything wildly insane that happened? Like it could be anything. It could be funny. It could be violent. It could be whatever. Like I know a couple people wanted to know. So probably the worst tragedy that probably happened when I was there uh, mm -hmm. was a girl died of an aneurysm during a fight. And uh, she hit her head the wrong way in in the back, like by the bathrooms. Yeah. And it was done. It hit her head once, fell once, and it was like done. she slipped and hit, and she slipped and fell, or somebody punched her while they were fighting. There was, and, a, fight. And... There was a there was a fight, and I mean, you can just get your head hit once, the right angle, the right, and I think she already had some brain complications. So yeah. It, and it was a done daughter. Now, I mean, in, in an environment like that, you kind of have to, it's not, it's not like outside of prison where you can run away from the fight. You can, right. you know what I mean, like, it's not like that. So when you're in a dangerous environment, how much time can you possibly give the other person if somebody accidentally dies of a brain aneurysm during a fight, right? So I right. believe um, the other girl just got uh, an involuntary manslaughter and had to go to court for that. But that was probably the largest tragedy um, I um, that that happened there. Um, I was in so much trouble just tattooing. I would not fucking stop tattooing. And yeah. finally, the warden came to me, and there was a um, kind of like a mini AIDS epidemic going on, not a like HIV um, yeah. epidemic going on in there, and. For some reason, they just wanted to crack down on tattooing because of that. Like, I changed all of... They're just bread ties, right? Like, so it wasn't right. a thing for me to just change a bread tie and change a pen out. Um, I doubt that there was any diseases, not when I was doing tattoos. And for the most part, most of the girls in there were pretty clean um, with their tattooing stuff because we had to take it apart so often. We couldn't keep our motor and everything. The least we had on us right the smarter it was for us so we would normally just carry around our actual motor put it together for uh so it's all the pieces were brand new basically anyways we we weren't really i don't think we were spreading anything but they cracked down so hard on me especially they had oh my gosh they had pictures of all of the tattoos i did like in a folder just specified for me Oh, shit. I think, I think the guards had like a little game with themselves, like to see who was like, doing like who tattooed tattoo. what? Yeah, exactly. Like they had their own little their own little game. And um, I was actually thinking on TikTok to break down a motor and do it from scratch to show you guys. But th that'll be. Yeah, uh, shit, I, think that, I think that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. OK, I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. All right. Yeah. Do it for me. If anything, if anything, do it for me and I'll do it on mine, too. All right. Um. Did you have like so? I, I you're not the only tattoo artist convict that I know as well. Well, or that I've or that I've, I've heard heard of tattooing in prison. There's another one. Um, Jay Williams. Let's live life on YouTube. He's a, he was also a tattoo artist as well, and he was he was up there in uh, Richmond, Virginia, at that prison, and he used to have a setup where he paid a guy. He also did. I think he did store boxing as well. So what he did was he'd pay a guy to just sit out and look out and watch out for him and everything like that while he was doing a tattoo session. But he also had other people that he would like stash his equipment with. Did you have a setup like that or did you have to just, just find a good hidey hole? Yeah. So, um, yeah, for the most part, like it all, it all depends like on what's going on and like what environment you're in. But when I was in like major population, yeah, I would just have other girls hide it. Like if we knew that there was going to be a shakedown, or um, I would hide it. I would hide it. Uh, obviously, I would prefer somebody else to hold on to it for me. But I have yeah. also been busted and had to. Um, I, I was. I was going to tell you that story. Besides, like tattooing, what else did what did you have? Like, I remember you talking. She had a few other hustles, didn't you? Or was that your uh, main hustle? That was probably my. Yeah, that was probably my main hustle. I did. I thread eyebrows. Um, I did hair. I mean, like you could just like once you're in that kind of environment and that's just what you like adapt to, it just becomes your everyday living. How yeah. you live in there is completely different from how you live out here. Just everything is completely different. Um, 
you know, like how we, we would make our own hooch and our own alcohol is just completely different. You just start f- figuring out, you know, just really creative ways to live. <laughs> you, you see yeah. Because I mean? you oh, don't yeah. have so. Yeah, I know a lot of I know a lot of guys. They'll take like orange peels and stuff like that from the from the cafeteria, and they'll give them to the to the to the hooch maker and everything like that. And you gotta get some yeast, you gotta get some other ingredients and whatnot. And then every couple of hours, when you start brewing your uh, your hooch and everything, you gotta burp the bag and all that. If you don't burp, it'll blow up and it'll stink and smell and be rancid in the cell and everything like that. It yeah. takes a while too, so you gotta hide it for a long time. You gotta make sure that it's hidden for quite a while because we get shaved yeah. down. especially like somebody like me I was getting shook down quite often they were always uh, tattoo stuff like how often like once a week once a month probably yeah probably once a week one time okay so let me tell you this is this is what I was getting into the warden was so on me about tattooing I had about at this point I had about 13 tattooing reports and I had about 18 months left over and uh The warden comes to me and she's like, if you get one more tattooing report, I'm locking you away, like for the remainder of your time. And um, they knew I was tattooing, but I had been there for a while. I kind of caught, like I I was in my groove. I wasn't getting busted like I was when I first started, right? Right. So, uh, and they came in, let's see, it was four o'clock in the morning one night just to just to shake me down and they took the entire pod stripped all of us tore the pod apart but I had the motor on me so all I could do like it was just too quick we didn't have time to plan for it we were asleep right and uh so I had to put it up me real quick while we were headed out and they knew it I think they knew it they had me sit on this chair it's called the boss okay and yeah. the boss is a large chair that you sit on that um is a metal detector it's basically like it reads through your entire body right yeah and that you sit on and uh they hadn't so i think they knew right and i got through shakedown got through everything okay okay i'm stoked i've gotten all this way they've already torn apart and they haven't come got me so apparently they didn't find anything in the pod we're good we're good i sit on this machine and i start beeping now this machine never worked i swear with jewelry with piercings with all kinds of metal and it never went off i swear that thing never went off yeah and it's going off right now and i said <laughs> I th- this thing doesn't even work and the guards like oh we just got it fixed mother fucker and i was like it's probably my my uh bra clasp in the back that's what you're seeing and he said nope we can see exactly where it is and it's inside of you so oh, shit. to get it out yeah and these are male guards right and i'm like yeah fucker so they take me straight to seg and they put me in a dry cell so a dry cell means no water i can't flush anything um like down the toilet like it's a dry cell they're they're just trying to get you to give up whatever you got in you and so finally I gave it up and I was like, all right, here you fucking go. And so I how many days? Up. Huh? How, how many days before you gave it up? Oh, uh, well, it, it was probably like later dinner because I wanted some water and I didn't want to be in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so they yeah. weren't going to feed you or give you any water or it, nothing? Yeah, no, no, no. You're in a completely dry cell with nothing. Yeah, they're trying to. So I, I, they just already knew I had it. They knew I had it on me. They saw it on the fucking thing. So I thought it was just a waiting game at that point. I wasn't going to fucking wait for long. I wanted to hurry up. So I gave them yeah. the motor. Got my, it was like my 14th fucking tattooing. And they sent me to level four lockdown. And that you're only out um, for 22 hours a day, right? Well, that's not too bad. Yeah still tattooing in level four lockdown let me tell you but (laughs) i just never stopped and actually i got into a fight because of it um in level four because of uh 
So, and makes a whole announcement to the lockdown pod um, and says, if there's any fresh tattoos visible, it's going to go straight to my fault and I'm going straight into SEG. Like, I was kind of given leniency going into level four. SEG is a level six. That means you don't get out except for a couple times a week to take a shower. And that's yeah. it. Like, that is it. So, I really didn't want to do that for 18 fucking months, right? So, I was like, all right. right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this pod out, the level four pod. We're still locked down most of the time. We only get out for a couple hours. Like, how bad can I really fuck up? Well, I didn't fuck up, and I hid all of my tattoos really well. All of my fresh work, I was clean about it. It was upper arms, you know, hidden legs. And I, it, was, it, was, it was actually doing pretty good business. Well, there is a couple in there, and one girl... Um, was losing her points in order to stay in level four. Her girlfriend is in there. Willing to do whatever to get another write-up to, to add on more points so that she could stay in the pod with her girlfriend in a level, you know. In, yeah. In a so this motherfucker, man, she got the biggest, fucking darkest, ugliest fucking tattoo right on her neck. I mean, took up her whole neck, um, did it on purpose. The guard fucking came and like purposefully saw it, gave her a citation. And I'm like, oh, y'all mother fuckers, dude. I'm going down for that. The yeah. one came in a fucking two goddamn days ago, man. And said, if anybody gets hemmed up, I'm going to seg for the rest of my time. So me and the girlfriend, we just start boxing. We just start fucking fighting, dude, because I am mad about it. I'm like, bitch, you fucking nasty ass thing on your fucking neck. And now I'm going to do seg time for that ugly fucking tattoo. So I just lost it. And um, me and the girlfriend started fighting. But really, I mean, it, it was just, <laughs> as you can see, it was just a lifestyle in there, like, I got um, beat up pretty bad, too, when I was in there by my girlfriend. She's dead now, actually. Unfortunately, she uh, she killed herself uh, in prison. But she was in there. She got charged when she was 16 for murder. And she was young in there. And uh, me and her were kind of on and off, like, during her latter sentence. She got 10 years. 15 years for that but she was a juvenile when she picked up her case but um i was sitting on the bunk eating i think che cheetos or something and dipping it or i don't know what i was doing but i was all the way in the back of the pod and that is where like the bathrooms and the showers are let me tell you yeah. spot by the way if you were doing tattoos if you are fucking on if you were doing all the crazy things i was doing the back of the pod right there by the bathroom perfect but i was sitting up against that wall the last wall before you go into the showers and um her name is marissa yazi she comes up to me all pissed off and she's like you told my girlfriend that me and you were fucking around in the pod and I was like, uh, bitch, I didn't even fucking leave the pod today. What are you talking about? I'll fucking tell you. Why, why the fuck would I tell your girlfriend that me and you are fucking around, dude? Yeah. Why would I do that? And I didn't want to fight her. I wasn't angry at her. I kind of didn't really know what she was talking about. Um, so it seems like somebody just told her some bullshit. And she came back and said that I'm the one who um, went to her girlfriend, Silver, at the time. And I fucking had no part in that. I didn't go <laughs> girlfriend that but so anyways either way she needed to that she didn't give a fuck about me to silver right so either way me and her were not fight over it um and i was trying to calm her down she was not fucking calming down you have to want to fight someone in order like you're you're not gonna you're, you're just not gonna fight correctly like you gotta be riled up about something and i yeah. was riled up i was kind of confused it was somebody that i'd been on and off with for a long time in there and I cared about her. I didn't want to fight with her. Well, she just grabbed my head and pushed it into the back wall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, while, shit. I down, while I was sitting down, I no swinging, nothing. I'm trying to calm her down and she would not stop kicking me. Yeah. I was out. It was horrible. Um, I think somebody but eventually of me, uh, yeah, no, I pissed myself and everything. I was out. I was getting fucked up. She was probably yeah. getting um, somebody didn't stop her. So let me, 
let me ask you something about the about the pod and everything like that. Now, is it like a pod where it's like a bunch of individual cells where it's like two people to a cell, or is it like an open dorm situation? So, yeah, it all depends on what level you're in. So there's general population, which is like the story I just told you, me and my um, ex-girlfriend were fucking around the pod. That was in general population where the showers are in the back. Level four yeah. was back then. Level four, when you only get out, that's a single cell. So you have your own shower, um, your own toilet in there, your own sink in there. Sometimes the showers are outside of the cell and you just take a shower during your hour or two out. You see what I mean? And you, you have certain times of the day where you can get out for an hour during like the daytime and then you get an hour like during the evening time to get on the phone. Everyone's got to fight for the phone in those fucking two hours kind of thing. But um, those are more smaller and compact and wa more wild pods, the um, level fours. The general pop is kind of wild too in its own way. Um, you know, and, and the guards in there are bored. Let me tell you, they rile some shit up just to rile some shit up. So one time, oh my, I'm not even fucking playing when these, this, oh my God, girlfriends of, two girlfriends of mine, right? Couple. Yeah. I am not playing when I say they fought for a week and just the whole pod was stressed out. Everybody's fucking exhausted. Uh, just from hearing them, just get it. The whole, oh my gosh, it was fucking gnarly. But the guard, this is what happened. The guard goes and tells one of the girlfriends that they found a large um, makeshift dildo in her box in her property when they shook her down for a random shakedown. So that means the girlfriend was cheating because what do you mean you found a fucking dildo? What dildo? She's never, I've never seen that fucking dildo. What are you talking about? You see yeah. It? So it totally set the girlfriend up and it was fucking bad. Yeah, those guards lied. Like the whole pod was trying to, um, when we found out that the guards were lying about the whole thing. And you, you got to think all of us, no, none of us trust each other at all. We're in fucking prison. So yeah, and totally believed it. That why else would the guards come and tell her, right? That they found a fucking, and sure enough, dude, it, the whole thing was a lie. And um, we reported it. Everybody reported the guards for doing that, but they didn't get in trouble. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of, a shit show in there and we're going to end it right here but we're going to pick up next week with more of what happened in prison post-prison and what samantha's doing in life as well like i said still an interesting story and it ain't stopping anytime soon so just be prepared for next week's episode as well it still stays wild it still stays hot boy and prison stories huh Holy shit. And good on her for getting only six years. Because, like she said, she could have gotten 15 if she took a plea deal. Or at least life. 20 years minimum. Yeah. And look at Samantha Haynes now. I'm hoping y'all been clicking on to her TikTok uh, links that I've been posting on some of these episodes. I might have forgot last week's, but I'm not going to forget this week. But I hope you've been looking and seeing what she does for adoptees, the troubled teen industry, any other uh, fields and fights, addiction recovery, you know, homicide prevention. She's all about that. She's all about educating people, letting them know what the system is about, how they're about it, what they do. I did learn some things about adoption trauma from Samantha. And I'm grateful for her perspective, and I'm grateful for what she was able to give to me. And it was in a patient, kind-hearted setting. You know, when you get one-on-one -on -one with somebody, they kind of take their time a little bit better with you. That's why I like these interviews and I like these stories, because you get to learn from people. You get to have a connection. You get to grow with them and have a friendship. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all the connections I've made on this podcast. Because you just never know what somebody went through and what their story is like. And you learn so much more afterwards and that's what I keep doing just learning from other people's stories they say in some some cultures it's like 
storyteller is the oracle, right? The oracle is the whole knowledge of the tribe. That's all I'm doing is being an oracle. Helping tell stories. Really, I'm not even doing it. It's, it's these people that come on here, right? People I interview, they're telling their stories. They just have an ability and a platform to do so now. Hey, come on. Share what you got. I do love this. Because it helps people. And it helps other people learn. And that's why I like interviewing survivors. Because their stories will break your heart. And then there's some stories on here that give you hope. Because it ain't all doom and gloom, but it ain't all sunshine and rainbows either. It's a mix of all that in between, isn't it? So, only announcements I got is that uh, I'm still waiting on some different things to pop through down the pipeline. Y'all stay in touch. Y'all stay, you know, listening in. I usually give these announcements at the end of every episode. There's a possibility for some other things to come down the line for not only myself but for Sabrina as well with the podcast. And hopefully we'll I'll hear in the next couple of weeks or so how that's going to play out. But it's big and it's going to be changing. It's going to be life-changing. <sighs> Fingers crossed, right? Uh, we got some other good interviews coming down the line as well. I will. I think I made an announcement last week. I'll make it again. For anybody that's from TikTok that knows the old foul dude, he's a he's basically a corrections officer who uh, very adamant about protecting children as well. Very anti-pedophile individual, and has uh, you know is basically uh, from what I've seen on TikTok the dad that everybody wanted. Uh, you'll you'll hear why. Uh, or if you go on to TikTok and just look up old foul dude, you'll see what I'm talking about. But he's a good man. Uh, very, you know, he does have a big heart. But he has some, man, that, his past, what he went through, what he's seen, what he's done. It was brutal. And he bears it all out there. And it was a wild interview. That's coming down the line. And we got some other ones as well lining up, getting those schedules worked out, and there are going to be some good ones for anybody that's a fan of, of my content on TikTok. It's going to be people that you've seen in the same realm and sphere that I'm in, so just be on the lookout for those interviews. Well, anyway, I hope y'all have a good day. I hope y'all are being safe. Remember to protect all children, even if they're not your own, and the Bowman see, and the Bowman never forget. I love y'all. Bye.